Amen, amen. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. My name is Micah, if I haven't met you. Um, and if Cody and Josh had told me the dress code was a purple shirt with a members-only jacket this morning, I would have happily obliged, but I didn't know. Um, so, man, it's great to be with you guys today. It's been a great weekend with your students. Um, I, I love your staff. I hope you guys know that. I'm a pastor in San Angelo, Texas, and I always try to take the opportunity to tell you guys this because I'm here for a weekend and then gone, so if you hate me, it's fine. But let me just tell you this. You guys have a phenomenal staff, so pay them better. Yes, for real, like phenomenal staff, phenomenal crew. I'm excited to hear about the things God's doing in your church and through your church that you guys are getting to move to your property finally soon. So like so many cool, exciting things. And so I'm excited to be, get to be part of what God's doing in and through you guys. Um, James only had an hour, so let's go ahead and dive in. Joking, not really. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter six today. Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, if you want to turn there in your uh, Bible or your app. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be verse 19 through 21. Many, many years ago, I realized something that has radically changed my life, and it is the simple truth that Dr. Pepper is the greatest thing that God has created on this earth. It is, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. I drink a whole, whole, whole lot of water um, because I got to have something to flush out the Dr. Pepper. But one of the sad realities lately... um, has been that, that almost everywhere I've gone, I travel and preach, all of us on staff at our church are bivocational. This is my other vocation. When I travel and preach, almost everywhere I've gone in the last like six months has not had Dr. Pepper. I go to a hotel and I go into like their little like kitchen thing, the pantry, and I go in expecting to get to buy a Dr. Pepper and lo and behold, they have something disgusting like Mr. Pibb which is basically the antichrist. You know, it's like the fake real thing. I go to Krispy Kreme last fall. Where was I? I was in Georgia. I was driving through a Krispy Kreme because the red light was on. And how do you not stop at a Krispy Kreme when the red light's on? And I said, can I get, I don't know how many, you know, a couple, AKA like 12. Can I get some Krispy Kreme donuts and a Dr. Pepper? And instead of her just saying, we don't have Dr. Pepper, she goes, is Mr. Pibb okay? Like, what kind of stupid question is that? No, it's not okay. You know, like, it's not. And, and here's the reality. I, I want Dr. Pepper all the time. Not just sometimes. I don't want to go to a restaurant and be like, eh, Mr. Pibb's okay today. It's not. It's not. I want Dr. Pepper every time, every point in my life. I want Dr. Pepper. I want it always. I'm not okay with something else sometimes, a Dr. Pepper sometimes. I want Dr. Pepper all the time. It's funny. That's not how we treat Jesus. We want Jesus as like a piece of our life. We want him on Sundays. We want him on Wednesday nights. We want him in our life group. We want him in Bible study. We want him when I'm hanging out with my Christian friends. But man, when I'm at my job, I don't want him. When I'm busy with the chaos of family and kids, I don't have time for Jesus. And what I hope to show you this morning from Matthew chapter 6 is that Jesus is a treasure that is to be valued above every other thing in our life. Jesus doesn't want to be a piece of our life. He wants to be inserted into the entire thing. So what does it look like to have your entire life set on Jesus? What does that look like? Let me give you a little context as we jump into Matthew chapter six. 
I, I've come to the place recently where I really think what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount is not necessarily giving instructions towards Christians. I know that might be one of the most heretical things you've ever heard, but here's what I think Jesus is doing, which you see through the Gospels he does in his entire ministry. Jesus comes to the nation of Israel to tell them that he's the Messiah. So I think what he's doing in, in the Sermon on the Mount is he's telling these people whose entire viewpoint of righteousness is as long as I obey the law, I'm righteous, which is true. But what we learn from the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul and Romans, is that no one is capable of obedience to the law. In fact, all the law does, the Old Testament Mosaic law, is make us conscious that we are incapable of doing it on our own. That none of us are capable of obedience to the law, therefore all of us are under the judgment of God because all of us have sin. And I think what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's telling these people whose viewpoint is, I have to obey the law to gain righteousness, as he's telling them, you'll never do it. He says, you say, you shall not look at a woman with lust in your heart, here's your standard, and I'm telling you actually to gain righteousness, you actually, you, you actually, uh, or you, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. He, he said, you say you shall not commit adultery, here's the standard, and I'm telling you actually you don't meet the standard unless you don't look at a woman with lust in your heart. I'm raising the standard. I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying your standard of righteousness is here, I'm telling you it's actually way up here. In other words, you can't attain righteousness on your own. And I think what Jesus is telling them in the Sermon on the Mount, all the stuff he says is, this is about me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And he gets to verse 19 in Matthew chapter 6, and here's what he says. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the little bit of time we have, I just want to look at a couple words here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Help me out a little bit. Say treasure. Come on, say treasure. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word treasure, the implication of the word he uses here for treasure, it's the most valuable thing in your life. Something that has exceptional value. Exceptional value. When I was in college, I was part of a worship band. Actually, funny story, the worship band I used to have play with me, uh, I met Sidney when he was like a senior in high school. Um, he was at a camp running sound and we were leading worship. So it's cool, full circle, how two brown guys can come do ministry together like this and it's, it's amazing. He's real Mexican, I'm fake Mexican. So it's, <laughs> it's nice to be with real people. To, anyways, my dad's from the Philippines and my mom's white and I'm in Texas, so nobody knows what that is. I'm just Mexican, so. <laughs> Help me out, say treasure. In college, I uh, was part of this worship band, and I knew that if I was ever going to get a good guitar, like a really good guitar, I, I better buy it before I get engaged, because I was like, once I get engaged, there's no spending money on things like guitars. So uh, one semester in college, I think it was my sophomore year of college, I had saved up like $700 and then found out that I got a grant for that semester of college because my dad's a pastor, and you guys pay pastors so well that I didn't, you know, our family was like basically in poverty. So I got this grant I didn't know about, and I'd already paid for the semester, so I had an extra like $800 and I was like I got $1,500 guess what I'm going to do I'm going to go buy a guitar so I drove to Guitar Center in Fort Worth and I bought a Taylor 314 you don't know what that is but at the time it was like I was like I had like the greatest guitar in the world I felt like greatest guitar in the world and then I realized a few years later like this is a really good guitar but like it's just kind of an okay guitar and as I, I still lead worship on Sundays at my church and for our 10 year anniversary my wife 
um, gave me this present. And when she slid the present across the table, she had this like gleam in her eye that was, was a little different than normal. And so I was like, what, what did you, what'd you get me? And she goes, listen, I know you want like a really good guitar. And so I've been saving up for a while. So she slid this present across the counter. I opened it up. It was $1,500 in cash. And she goes, look, I know this isn't enough to get the guitar that you really want, but here's a good start. She scraped and saved for a while to save me $1,500. So I was like, yeah, it's time to get like a really good guitar. So I... I scraped up another quite a bit more money and we drove to the Guitar Center in San Antonio and Guitar Centers have these guitars that are like the top row of the wall where you can't just go touch. And I walked into Guitar Center, I guess the guy, the salesman could tell that I really was ready to buy and so I was like, hey man, let me see that guitar right there. And I, long story short, bought a Martin D41, which is pretty nice guitar. It has all these like cool inlays and stuff I said I'd never needed, but then when I played it, I was like, I gotta have it. Uh, Help me out, say treasure. See, the Taylor 314 was nice, but like, it, it wasn't like really, really good. The, the Martin D41 is like my treasure. I don't take it outside. When I do summer camps and they're like, can you come do songs around the campfire? I'll say, absolutely, bring me another guitar. I'm not taking this guitar out to a campfire where it can get smoke smell. It, say treasure. It has exceptional value to me. When we leave, we went, my, I took my kids out of school last week and we went snowboarding in Colorado. It's my, I'm hoping my kids someday will be like, my dad was the coolest guy in the world. He took me out of school to go snowboarding. I'm in, right? I can do whatever I want to do with my kids from here on out. I'm, I'm good. But I took them, and, and when I left town, I, I didn't leave my guitar at home because I was afraid if someone broke into my house, they'd steal my Martin. You know, I don't care about my computer. I don't care about my clothes. Don't take my guitar. Say treasure. It's something that is exceptional value to me. And so what do I do? I treat it as this precious thing. So even when I leave town, I'm like hiding it at other people's houses because I don't want anybody to take my guitar. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you evaluated your life, Would Jesus be a little piece of it? Or is he the kind of thing that you protect because he is a treasure? Here's what Jesus is saying, ready? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, I'm the treasure. Find your worth in me. Find your value in me. There is always someone prettier. There's always someone smarter. There's always someone who's more successful. There's always someone who has more money. There's always a church who has better green carpet. There's always an upgrade. And when you spend the rest of your life trying to do better than other people, what you're actually doing is saying, Jesus, you're not the value I am. Jesus, you're not the treasure I am. He says, where your treasure is, There your hearts will be also. Jesus is saying, find your worth in me. If we find our worth and treasure that isn't Jesus, our worth is temporary. New Year's Eve this year, we were at some friend's house and we were about two blocks away from our house, at some friend's house, and one of my sons, I have two sons that are in high school now, one of them asked if he could walk home. I said, yeah, and he walked home and called me when he got home and said, dad, someone broke into the house. See, got to get my Martin out, right? So we run over to the house and it was fine. They hadn't got in. I have a chocolate lab, I think, that bit the guy and scared him off. And it was, it was fine. We didn't lose anything. But here's the reality. If they had taken everything I own, 
even if they had taken my Martin, all my stuff, all the things that I think is like value to me, in reality, if they had taken all that stuff, you know what? It's fine. You know why? Because those things are not my treasure. Those things are not my worth. I can buy more stuff. I can get more things. The only thing that has value to me is Jesus. And I love the old song, the old hymn that says, take the world but give me Jesus. That's a proclamation that the only value, the only treasure in this world that is worth pursuing, worth holding on to, worth having is Jesus. Say treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the contrast. For people who haven't put faith in Jesus as Savior, the only way for them to feel worth or find treasure is in things like accomplishments, wealth, etc. But for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus, our worth Our treasure is in Jesus. So when we accomplish amazing goals, or we have a lot of things, or we gain wealth, or we gain success, we aren't finding our worth in those things. We're not finding our treasure in those things. We're able to celebrate those things because they're not our treasure. They're not our value. They're not our worth. He says where your treasure is, what? There your, there your, there your heart will be also. The word heart here describes the core or the center of a person, their entire life, all your desires, all your passions. That's what he means here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your passions will be. There the core of your life will be. The idea is the heart is everything you love and care for, all of your desires. It's what you invest your life into. Or we could say it like this, ready? Your heart dictates how you live. So here's the pattern. What you put your treasure in, there your heart will be, and there your life will follow. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and there your life will follow. So here's the idea. Jesus is your treasure. Your heart will be on him and him only. Your heart will be on him and him only. Maybe one of the greatest travesties us pastors have done in in marital counseling is telling people that a marriage is about you. Because according to Ephesians 5, a marriage between believers is actually a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. When have we we told couples, hey, this isn't about you. This is about you reflecting this relationship between Jesus and the church. Marriage isn't even about me. The goal of marriage isn't even even for me to find happiness. The goal of marriage is to proclaim between me and my wife that Jesus is our treasure. That he's our heart's. Maybe the divorce rate in the church would be less if we thought about our marriage from the perspective of Jesus rather than the perspective of self. If Jesus is your treasure, your heart will be on him and him only. So in the midst of good times and bad times, what happens? If Jesus is your treasure, your heart remains on him and you're able to live a life for his glory no matter what comes. Because the world can take everything away from you They can take the clothes off your back, but what they cannot take from us is Jesus, the most valuable thing. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My wife and I have four sons, Seth, Aiden, Grayson, and Hayes. Seth is 17, Aiden's 16, which that insurance payment sucks for two kids driving. Grayson's 11, and Hayes is eight. When Hayes was born, uh, my wife had C-sections for all but one of the kids. Uh, She didn't have a C-section for one because he came too fast and they didn't have time to do a C-section. But the rest of them, we've done C-sections. So when my youngest son, Hayes, was born eight years ago, 
Um, they were getting my wife into the, the room for surgery to do C-section. And I felt like as we were walking into the room, I felt the Lord just like impress on my heart and say, trust me, which is not what you want to hear when you're walking into your son being born, right? Trust me. And I'm like, oh no, like what's, what's about to happen? And so they do the whole surgery thing. They, you know, get haze out of the tummy and they get them out. And they're, side note, C-section babies are actually cute. Regular born babies are not that cute. They look like aliens for a little while until their head like gets back normal. So like they actually pulled out a cute baby and I was like, man, that's a cute kid. You know, like that's gorgeous. And so they're cleaning him up and, and they, he looks fine. And I'm thinking maybe I'm just like making stuff up in my head. Maybe I didn't hear God actually say anything to me. And as the nurse is like cleaning him up and weighing him and measuring him, she makes a weird face. And I'm like, oh. Oh no, what is that? And so they get us into like a recovery room and they bring Hayes over to us and hand it to my wife. And the, the nurse says, hey, I need to tell you, um, there's something wrong with your baby. And I'm like, great, what is it? She said, he's got what's called a cleft palate, meaning the roof of his mouth was, was not closed. And to be completely honest, I was like, we can deal with that, you know? That's surgery, that's some speech therapy, that's like, we got that. And so I'm thinking like, okay, God, thank you for it not being anything like huge, not a big deal. So we, we, we take Hayes into a room, we're having to learn how to feed him differently because he can't suck, so we're having to feed him with these special bottles and we're enjoying time with Hayes and that night we send him to, with the nurse to the nursery so my wife and I can sleep for a little bit. And we went to sleep and a few hours after we went to sleep, a nurse comes busting back in the door and says, I just had to send your son to the NICU, the ICU for kids, because there is something wrong with your son, and I don't know what it is. So about an hour later, the doctor from the NICU comes in and says, we just did a bunch of tests on Hayes. She said, there is something wrong with his heart. We'd had some friends five years, six years before that have a daughter that was born with a bad heart. She had a heart transplant in one. I've watched the chaos of dealing with heart issues. And I'm a fixer. I fix everything. I fix every, YouTube is this amazing resource for like learning every, I, I fix everything. I, I, there are times I will fix my washer because I'm not willing to call somebody to come fix my washer for me. It's awful, I, I wanna fix everything. And the doctor comes in and says, there's something wrong with your son's heart. I can't fix that. I remember the weights of the pain of watching my wife just crumble. What do you say to her? I can't say, I'll fix it. And I remember laying face down on the hospital floor, just crying out to God, God, heal my son's heart. Would you heal his heart? I remember this feeling in that moment, as I'm laying on the hospital floor, which is probably not the greatest idea, but I didn't know where else to go. Where do you go? I'm laying on the hospital floor, face down, just praying, God, heal my son's hearts. And I just felt this peaceful hand of God rest on me. And what I realized in that moment is that my value and worth isn't in my children. My value and worth isn't in my wife. My value and worth rests in Jesus. And if Hayes dies because his heart is bad, I will mourn and I will cry and I will weep and it will be hard and it will be awful to deal with. But in reality, what doesn't change is my value still rests in Jesus. 
And I cannot be shaken of that. And as I was laying on the hospital floor, I felt the hand of God just peacefully resting on me, reminding me of who I am in Christ, that he's the most valuable thing. And I remember getting up, grabbing my wife and hugging her, and we just began to pray, God, heal my son's heart. Heal my son's heart. Heal my son's heart. Next day, a specialist happened to be coming in that was a heart doctor for kids. He came in to the hospital, looked at all my son's tests, the exact same, t- the exact same test they had done the day before. Looked at my son, came in and told us, there's nothing wrong with your son's heart. And one of two things happened. One, the NICU doctor who'd been there for 20 years was an idiot. Or God healed my son's heart. I don't think she's an idiot. I think she knows what she's doing. Can I just tell you, I think God healed my son's heart. I don't know if you've been through something like that, but it's those kind of things in life that put you in check. What is it that is the most valuable thing to you? Is it your fame? Is it your success? Is it your happiness? Is it your comfort? Is it your wealth? Is it the house you have? Is it, it, what, is, what is it that you treasure and value? Because in reality, if Jesus isn't your treasure, when hard times come, you will be shaken. But if Jesus is your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And no matter what, ca- what happens, what comes, good times, bad times, in reality, you won't be shaken no matter what happens because what is valuable for you is Jesus and nothing can ever take that away. Death, life, hard times. As Paul says, being in the ocean for three days, being in hunger. He says, I know what it is to be poor. I know what it is to be rich. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be well-fed, but I know this to be true, that I can do all things. What? Through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because he's my treasure. He's my value. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Listen, I've been in church my entire life. My dad's a pastor. I'm that kid. And I know that there are a lot of you even in this room who've been in church your entire life and somehow you've convinced yourself that your value is that you've been in church your entire life. I heard Billy Graham say one time, he wonders how many people have sat in church their entire life and then will be surprised when they wake up in hell one day because their value was in their church attendance and not in Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, but let me just ask you this, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? 